0: Is temptation sin? Well, biblically speaking, no, it's not. We know in Scripture that our Lord Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, comes to the aid of those who are tempted because he is a faithful and merciful high priest who has been tempted in all things, yet without sin. Temptation is not sin, it is yielding to temptation.
1: Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Equipping the Saints. Equipping the Saints is a daily radio outreach from Equipping Bible Church in Greer, South Carolina. And our teacher is Greg Lundstedt, pastor of Equipping Bible Church.
0: And Dave, today's letter day. And I have a note from Priscilla from South Dakota. She writes, thank you for your team, all your work and clarity at God's word by Pastor Greg. Especially appreciate your answers to my many questions. Blessings to all of you, Priscilla. Well, Priscilla, you are so welcome, and I am so thankful for our team here also. What a blessing they are to me in helping us get the word out. So thank you so much.
1: And Greg, we live in a sexualized society with the Internet, social media, YouTube. It's all around us. So how can we believers avoid and be delivered in the midst of so much temptation?
2: Well, Dave, that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so turn with us to Matthew chapter 5, and we're looking at verses
0: 27 to 30. And I just wanted to warn our listeners, today what we'll be looking at
1: is sexual in nature, so please
2: protect little ears.
1: Well, thanks, Greg. Now, if you want to listen to today's broadcast again, just download our new free app from the Apple App Store. You'll find today's broadcast, archived broadcasts as well as more about this ministry and our teacher, Pastor Greg Lundstedt. Now, let's join Greg for today's message.
0: And Proverbs is full of warnings concerning adultery. And God's wisdom actually delivers us from that. Proverbs 2.16, to deliver you from the strange one, from the adulteress who flatters with her words, leaves the companion of her youth, she's becoming adultery, forgets a covenant with God, and that's the actual act now, okay? Proverbs 5, 1, my son, give attention to my wisdom. That's the word of God. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion your lips and reserve knowledge. For the lips of adulteress drip honey, smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she's bitter than wormwood, sharp as a twigid sword. Her feet go down to death. Talks about her steps to lay hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of her life. Her ways are unstable. She doesn't know it. We know that the adulteress hunts for precious life. We know he who is cursed of the Lord will fall into the deep pit. The mouth of the adulteress is a deep pit. Proverbs 22, 14, he who is cursed of the Lord will fall into it. That's speaking of the actual act there. But certainly it says men lusting after women. Certainly that's what our passage says. But there are other ways that women lust. They desire for romance with someone who's not their spouse. Soap operas, evening TV, tantalize the flame, these hidden, unacted upon passions. And let me propose something else too here today. Think, women, about how you dress around men, especially in the body of Christ. Could it be a platform for temptation? Dare we not stumble? Certainly it is the man's responsibility. And if someone isn't dressed appropriately, maybe because they never understood or never were taught or whatever it might be, uh, the man needs to look away and be gracious and kind. But be aware that that can bring about things. Just simply gazing at images can bring that about for men. Lust can be awakened by simply a woman who's dressed immorality. Now, the man has to act on it. I'm giving that. It's not the woman's fault. But be aware. You don't want to stumble anybody. Just like in other sins. For all of us, we don't want to do something that might cause someone to stumble. They're the one that sinned, but we might aid to that somehow in what we do. So be aware of that. Now, should all women walk around in burqas then so that no one's tempted? Should we avoid the beach or the pool, never go to the beach because there's people with bathing suits on? Should we avoid that? No, that's just a rule you would make up, okay? We saw in Colossians, we need Jesus to deliver our hearts so that we don't become the ones that are lusting in our hearts. We need him to deliver us in every circumstance. You're not going to be pulled out of the world till the Lord Jesus comes. And so, therefore, it's a matter of the heart and how we deal with those temptations, as we'll say. Now, thinking here back in our passage He says, you have heard it said, you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. What a second, my heart is just a big thing pumping blood around. What's he talking about? What's he talking about when we speak of the heart? Well, in the Old Testament, the term Lev spoke of the heart, and in the New Testament, cardia kind of makes sense. In Greek, it speaks of the heart. But as we look at Scripture, it speaks of the inner man, the inner self. It is the source of all the functions of soul and spirit, emotional, volitional, rational life. Indeed, we see the term heart used throughout Scripture synonymously with mind and will. Take, for instance, how God uses these two terms in a parallel sense in Psalm 7, verses 9 to 10. Oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, but establish the righteous. For the righteous God tries the hearts and minds. See that together. My shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. Revelation 2.23, the Lord Jesus talks about the Jezebel. says, I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. Philippians 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now they're used parallel in those cases, but there's some other passages that show that it's not even just parallel, it's used synonymously. Second Corinthians 3 verse 14 talks about the Jews, but their minds were hardened until this very day of the reading of the Old Covenant. And the same veil remains unlifted because it's removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. calls it the mind in one portion. calls it the heart in another. Same thing. Heart and mind. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, where the writer of Hebrews reiterates the new covenant from the Old Testament, Jeremiah. He says, For the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, I'll put my law into their minds. I will write it on their hearts. James chapter 1.26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. So clearly, what we think, that's who we are. What's going on in our mind, that's who we are. Speaking of a bad guy, in Proverbs 23, verse 7, it says, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. Indeed, Scripture described people based on their heart condition. We see God's word speaks of a change of heart, the sad of heart, the glad of heart, the slow of heart to believe, uncircumcised hearts, hardness of heart, sincerity of heart, pride and arrogance of the heart, and idols of the heart. And so we see unbelievers have hearts of stone. The redeemed are given new hearts, hearts of flesh, as we'll see. So biblically, the heart represents the inner man, just as our physical hearts are the center of our physical life, our mind, our heart, is the center of our spiritual life, of who we are. For as he thinks within himself, so he is. So the very clear, simple point Jesus is making is that Jews need not commit the external act to be guilty. But one is rendered guilty from simply the internal act of the heart. One's rendered guilty. Now, before we continue, we need to ask the question, is temptation sin? Is temptation sin? Well, biblically speaking, no, it's not. We know in scripture that our Lord Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, comes to the aid of those who are tempted because he is a faithful and merciful high priest who has been tempted in all things, yet without sin. Temptation is not sin. It is yielding to temptation. We sang that song earlier. Yield not to temptation, right? And so here, we see that he comes to our aid, that he was tempted and did not sin, but yet we are tempted too, aren't we? But there's scripture also reveals that no temptation has come upon you except that which is common to man, 1 Corinthians 10. But God is faithful to provide a way of escape that we can endure it or would endure it. Now before we acquit ourselves, remember we are fallen creatures and the line between temptation and sin is very thin. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. And by the way, don't ever think when you're tempted that God's doing it. He does not tempt anyone. It says here, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. He will never tempt you to do evil. God never tempts you. It is through Satan or through our flesh that we are tempted. He says here, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust or epithume, his own desire. We have a desire for something. We're tempted. We're carried away by it, right? Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Just because we're tempted doesn't mean we've sinned. But we need to realize sin is just around the corner if we yield to temptation, if we yield to those desires. So back in our passage, Jesus makes it clear, just as he did with anger, it's the issue of the heart that renders us guilty before the action has been manifest. Now, I need to clarify, we're going to see later on, don't make a wrong equivalency. Committing adultery in your heart is committing adultery, you're guilty of it, but it is not the same as actually going out and committing it. Being angry at someone, you're guilty. You're guilty of murder in that sense. You're guilty of, But you didn't actually murder yet. There is the act also. But you're still guilty of that even if you have run it through your heart. You see? So back in our passage here. So what's the solution here? Have you ever lusted after a woman in your heart? Not your wife, whatever it might be. Not married. Have you ever desired a man that's not your husband? If so, you're guilty. So what's the solution to the human problem, which is sin? And here specifically, sexual purity. Well, the solution here we're going to see, and the consequence are exemplified in two illustrations. You must address the offending part or you'll be thrown into hell. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. Look at what he says here. Verse 29, And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of your parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go into hell. That's a very interesting statement. And as I said, don't leave without hearing the explanation, okay? Tearing out your eyeball and cutting off your hand? This is where the non-believing guys on History Channel and stuff would say, look at how crazy the Bible is. Well, they're not seeing it rightly because they don't have the Spirit of God and are understanding the intent because these are spiritual words and spiritual thoughts and spiritually appraised, and God's Spirit gives us understanding into what Jesus meant, and we'll see that. We're going to see, for the non-believer, you must take drastic action to address the part that causes you to stumble. Now, before we start looking at this, this is kind of a difficult passage, I want to make some initial observations here. First of all, it's extremely important to note in the original language, verses 27 and 20 are speaking of you all, universal declaration of guilt upon everyone who's lusted. But then we get to 29 and 30, he moves from plural to singular, making the solution. And if you're singular, now it's down to you. You're all guilty if you do this, but down to you. Here's what you need to do. And so we have a universal declaration of condemnation and then a personal solution. Or an eternal consequence. And if your right eye makes you stumble, in then verse 30, and if your right hand makes you stumble. The term stumble is scandalazzo, derived from a word that referred to putting on a stick some bait, and then where a trap is placed, and when a careless animal touches the stick, the bait trap shuts. The idea is something that would block or impede our way or trip us up that we might fall, make us stumble in this context into sin. So he's saying whatever causes you to get tripped up, caught in sin, in this area specifically, it must be drastically addressed, otherwise you will suffer eternal consequence. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out, and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of your parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than your whole body go into hell. Now you might ask, why does Jesus use the terms right eye and right hand? Some say the Jews thought those were the most valuable things, your right eye and your right hand, but what about left-handed people, right? And that's possible, but what do we lust with? Our eyes, and how do you touch a woman with your hands, right? Those are the offending parts. They're the parts that are involved in the actions. So, therefore, you need to gouge out your eyes and cut off your hands. Is that what he's saying? You need be very careful to interpret this with the intent God ordained and interpret it rightly. Or we could do so to our own physical peril and eternal detriment. So what is he saying here about this radical action? Is he saying physically do this, pull out the eye and throw it from you and cut off your hand? Most interpreters would say he's speaking of drastic action to sin. And I would agree initially, but I'm not sure that's the whole point here. Really not. You say, why, Greg? First of all, look at the consequence for not dealing drastically End of verse 20, then for your body to be thrown into hell. Middle of 34, is better that one of your parts, your body, perish, than for your whole body to go into hell. Let me ask you this. Will believers be thrown in hell? No. He's speaking to non-believers here. He is speaking to non-believers, And it's important that we understand that. He's saying if there isn't drastic action taken, you're going to go to hell. There's a drastic action taken to take care of sin. You're going to hell. Now, everywhere you see this same analogy shared in scripture, Matthew 18, Mark 9, 43, 45, 47, it's always that they would not be cast into hell. It has to do with non-believers going to judgment. So we need to recognize these statements are not directed to us, okay? And we'll talk about that but those on the precipice of paying the eternal price for their sins. On a side note, please don't use this passage to gain your theology on how to deal with sexual sin. Don't use it. Remember we saw in Colossians chapter 2, these are of matters to be sure to have the appearance of wisdom, self-made religion, self abasement severe treatment of the body. They have no value against fleshly indulgence. You poke your eye, you cut your hand off, that's not going to help you. Because what we're going to see, it's the matter of the heart That brings it about. So then, what's the point here? Unless the body part that causes you to be ensnared is not completely or drastically addressed, then you're going to hell. And what's the body part that needs drastic action taken? But I say to you, everyone who looks upon a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. I've already committed the sin in my heart before my eyes and my hands act upon it. My heart is the offending part. He's using this radical illustration that you need to address the offending part of your body, which in this context is the heart. And remember, he said back in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those with a pure heart, cleansed hearts. And so, as I've stated this passage, I don't believe Jesus is saying drastically address the things that will cause you to sin from the outside, as some people would try to do. Get rid of the internet, don't watch TV. Hold your head down so you never see a woman. Or the endless things you could do to protect yourself, supposedly. Now, some might be wise, but the issue is the heart. And, folks, we need to recognize the needs for our hearts to be cleansed, to be purified. You see, everyone apart from God has an impure heart. Now, because someone thinks they got a clean heart, that doesn't mean they have a clean heart. Proverbs 29, verse 9, who can say, I've cleansed my heart, I'm pure from sin? It's sin is the issue. God is the one who weighs the motives of the heart. Proverbs sixteen two, all the ways of a man are clean in his own sight. Okay, hey, I'm fine. No, but the Lord weighs the motives. Proverbs thirty verse twelve. There's a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. Man apart from God does not have a pure heart, and we must acknowledge our need for cleansing. Man has a defiled, deceitful, sinful heart which separates him from a holy God. You see, sin has caused separation between us and God. And our inner man, our thinking, our being is defiled by sin. And folks, God sees everything, but our hearts are more deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9, The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each according to his ways for the
2: result of his deeds.
0: Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 12, that what comes from our heart is good or bad, matthew twelve you could turn up there for a second matthew twelve thirty four you brood of vipers, how can you being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. I say to you that every careless word men shall speak, they shall render, account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words, it shall be justified. By your words, you shall be condemned. So let me ask you this. Has your heart been cleansed through faith in Jesus Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ for a cleansed heart? You see, if you haven't, there are consequences. Look at our passage. into verse 29. For your whole body to be thrown into hell. End of verse 3, then your whole body go into hell. The consequence for the sin at the heart level, not even the action, is hell. And every one of you have been angry. Every one of you, I believe, have lusted. Everyone's fallen into that. The term hell here, Gehenna in Greek, has the Hebrew word, speaks of valley and then a deep ravine. This ravine was associated with the god Moloch and his disgusting rite of infant sacrifice. It's literally the valley of Hinnon where the filth and dead animals of the city were cast up there and burned. Trash was perpetually burned there. It's a fit symbol for the future home of all the unrepentant, wicked men and women who have rejected Christ. It's a foul, forbidding place where fire, smoke, stench never ceased. Thus, we see it's hell. So then, the consequence is hell. Jesus shared in Luke chapter 12, 14, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. After that, I have no more they can do. But I warn you to fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. God has the authority to cast you into hell for your sins. And if you die in your sins, you will find yourself being cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 21, verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit these things and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, unbelieving, and abominable, and murderous, and immoral persons, there you go, right there, just in the heart, that's all it takes, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God, in human flesh, says you're guilty enough if you thought it.
2: Guilty enough for hell. You need to be cleansed.
0: And how is it? Or cleansed. The good news is that you can have a clean heart today. You can be cleansed of your sin. There is no way for you to overcome sin and death on your own, but one overcame sin and death. God took on human flesh and he died for your sins, and he rose from the dead, and he overcame sin and death. And if you believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you will be delivered from the sentence to hell, and you'll receive
2: eternal life. And you'll have a cleansed heart.
1: If you've just joined us, you've been listening to Equipping the Saints with Greg Lundstead. You can hear today's message again by visiting our website, etsradio.org. That's etsradio.org. CDs of today's message or other messages are available at our website as well. And as a part of the ministry of Equipping the Saints, all our audio resources are available at no cost to you. Thanks to the Lord's provision through the faithful support of friends of this broadcast. To order your complimentary CD, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. If you prefer to request your complimentary CD by email, our email address is contact at etsradio.org.
2: Friend, before we close today's broadcast, I want to talk to you directly about your eternal destiny. If you were to die right now, do you know where you would spend eternity? If you're unsure, here are some important questions to answer. Do you believe that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness? That you've sinned against a holy God? Do you believe that you are unable to do anything about your sinful condition? Do you believe that Jesus is God, that he took on human flesh, that he came and lived the sinless life and went to the cross and died for your sins? He was buried and rose from the dead three days later. Do you believe that his work on the cross was sufficient to forgive you of your sins? Are you willing to acknowledge that until you repent of your sins and turn to the Lord Jesus to save you, that you deserve hell and will be sent there? If you believe these things and want to receive Jesus' offer of eternal salvation, then you need to turn to him and ask him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, I thank you so much for your word and your son Jesus. And I pray for those listening today who who do not know you, who still are in their sins, that they would turn from their sin and trust in your son Jesus Christ for salvation, that they would be saved Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your son, and it is in his name we pray.
1: If you've taken that eternally important step, we'd love to come alongside you in your new relationship with Christ. So, would you take a moment and contact us? We'd like to send you our New Believers Packet. In that packet, you'll find a message from our teacher, Greg Lundstedt, some helpful Bible study tools, and a Bible. It's our gift to you to help you in your new relationship with Christ. You can request your New Believers Packet online at etsradio.org, or if you prefer, call us toll-free, 1-800-596-9144. That's 800-596-9144. And from all of us at Equipping the Saints, welcome to the family.